Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroth. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined again by Alex McClaverty, Global COO of Clarity PR. Clarity PR defines itself as an agency with the heart of a startup, working with rebels and titans. We take risks, solve problems, learn, adapt, and deliver fearless global communications. This is the second of two conversations I had with Alex discussing the role of communications in mergers and acquisitions. In the first conversation we had, Alex talked about the role of communications for Clarity PR as its own strategic acquirer itself, where it has had a number of acquisitions and we talked through case studies of what she did. To find that recording, simply go Google Apple iTunes, look up the podcasts and just uh, search for MNA Masters and you'll find it. M ampersand A Masters, it'll be there. It's the only one out there. Today, we're going to discuss the best practices for communications, both internally and externally, for participants in an M&A transaction. And this is where Clarity provides the role of advisor on holding the hand and, and shepherding the parties through this process. Communications in M&A are absolutely critical, particularly when you consider how much confidential sensitive information is being handled by a limited number of parties and how do you get that message out as other parties are added to the, to the process. So it's not as easy as it looks as I like to think. Alex, welcome back. Thanks again for joining me. It's a pleasure to be back. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts on what Clarity PR does in terms of communications for others in M&A, let's get a little context. Tell us about Clarity PR itself. Well, thank you for the introduction. I think you said a lot of it um, already, actually, which is great. Saves me a job. Uh, but to give you a feel for us, um, Clarity was an agency founded specifically to bridge the gap between the very large multinational agencies um, that you've probably all heard of and the sort of small local boutique agencies. And we like to think that we are in the perfect spot where we're not too big to, and not too small uh, for our client sets. We've got offices at the moment in London, New York, San Francisco, and LA. So we serve um, obviously the US market um, and Europe out of London. And we've got partners across the world as well that we work with because obviously a lot of, the, lot of comms needs to be handled um, in multiple markets these days. Um, but we really focus on tech-enabled um, companies, not usually the biggest player in the market. We tend to sit very well um, to the heart of a startup feel um, with challenges. So some, some of the companies that are doing the most disruptive, innovative things in the market, um, really looking to challenge what's out there already. And we specifically enjoy working with clients that have exciting stories to tell, where there's a really positive change coming out of the work that they're doing, and we're able to bring that to life. And, and this is more than just press releases, too. This is also going to be internal communications on how you go ahead and get messaging internally through and then with, with the counterparties and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. We cover everything um, from media relations through to content marketing, digital, social, internal comms, crisis management, of which there is a lot in M&A, as you know, um, and uh, everything in between. So we tend to... Uh, enjoy a, a sort of very privileged position as advisors on um, sort of business strategy as well in a lot of cases because we get to deal quite often with um, directly with a CEO, particularly in mergers and acquisitions. Well, let's look at what we're doing with communication specifically in the world of M&A. 
Okay. And I, and you and I have had this conversation before the communication is a skill set that a lot of us take for granted because particularly if you're in the professional field, we believe we're communicating all the time. We either spoken or written. We are constantly using sophisticated language and, you know, being aware and, and uh, getting out there to a whole lot of people. And that's not the same skill set you need when you're dealing with, you know, highly sensitive, confidential information and being able to get it out at a measured time, particularly in, in the case of an M&A situation. You really can't wing it. And you guys don't. You're not improvising on this on the fly. You go ahead and you have a real set process. So could you briefly go over that, uh, that process that you use for, the, I guess, the hierarchy of the communications? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the most important thing is to take a look at the whole picture of what you're trying to achieve with the deal and then work back from it. And I think it's very easy for communications to end up siloed in individual departments or with individual people. And so our role is really to take that overview of the whole process so that we can make sure that everything's being joined up and is working consistently. There's a process that I talked about on the last um, podcast, which is the ADKAR model, A-D-K-A-R, which is uh, we've used for many years um, with great success, which just really acts as a reminder of the different processes you need to go through. And it was devised for change management. So if you think of a deal as a process of change, um, both for the individuals being impacted, for the market, for the businesses as a whole, um, it seems to work well in terms of making sure that you just check off everything you need to. Just to recap very briefly, the first step on that is awareness. So making sure that the parties involved have an understanding that there is a need to change. The D uh, is the second step, which stands for desire, which is actually inculcating in the people involved this desire to have that change happen, so for a positive outcome. Um, And it's only at that stage that you then start to impart the knowledge, which can take the form of training or communications to the team so that they really start to understand what it means for them and how they're going to be working with it. The A is the ability, so giving them the toolkits they need to apply that um, change. So that could be equipping sales teams with new materials. It could be doing some of the sort of operational and logistics side of things. Um, And then the R stands for reinforcement, which is obviously just making sure that once the change has happened, you don't just assume that it's stuck. And it's about going back again and reinforcing that awareness and that desire for the change until you feel like you've got a properly integrated um, business once again. It's a very helpful way to navigate the uncertainties and the the kind of scariness, I think, for a lot of people um, involved either, you know, at a senior level or at a a sort of um, junior level in any kind of change. Um, And it certainly helps to inform our communication strategies when we're working with clients. See, what I like about this is that this isn't just composing a press release, announcing a deal. There's got to be a way that you are ensuring that the deal ends up with a a post-closing integration process that's successful. And in order for that, I love how you guys uh, frame this, is this is all about change and that people have to be aware of the change. They've got to understand, not only understand it, but then actually want it before you spend a lot of energy giving them the skill set and the tools to move forward. If, if they don't want it, you could have the greatest training in the world and they're just not going to buy into it. With mergers and acquisitions, we got issues with confidentiality. And, you know, it can go big swings depending on the parties in place and, and the sensitivity of the information. How do you balance the need to make people aware and confidentiality? 
it's a great area to focus on because it is a very tricky one. And I think there is something in human nature that means when you know a secret, you really want to tell everyone about it. And particularly when you're excited about a deal, I think people find it very hard to keep it to themselves, um, particularly with the workloads it involves. You know, people just have a need to, to share, which obviously isn't always the most sensible thing to do. Um, obviously, it's critical that you, you observe the terms um, of any deal and, and, and keep things confidential when you have to. I think there's a few challenges specifically around that. One is that um, usually the most senior people in an organization seem to feel that that rule doesn't always apply to them. So some of the most interesting challenges I've faced um, on the communication side of things has been from a CEO letting it slip to somebody who's a friend in a club or whatever. And um, we're the ones that have to pick up the pieces on that. Uh, journalists are very good at um, getting, thinking they can get information off the record when obviously if the information is interesting enough, then nothing is off the record. So keeping um, things to yourself is, is always um, a bit of a challenge just generally. Where I see our role is really in having taken that bigger view of what the challenges are likely to be and what the communications considerations are, is trying to get involved as early as possible in the, in the tabling of the deal and the discussions around what can and can't be said so that we are in a position to try and influence that for the best. Experience shows that the earlier you can start to bring people along on the journey with you, um, the, the better the outcome. Um, and therefore, if we can put certain you know, um, opportunities in place to start getting a team up to speed with the fact that change is coming, even if we're not able to discuss um, what that change might be or speak to the media about plans and ambitions so that they're getting warmed up, ready to accept a change in circumstance, then that um, usually really helps us out and helps the clients out in terms of getting the outcome they want. So um, we try to get involved as early as possible. I think the other thing is that you, you need to have a very clear comms plan so that you can be agile because you never know, as we're discussing, when something's going to come out. So the comms plan has to come right at the beginning of any, any planning. It's not an add-on. It's not a secondary thing. We'll figure that out once the deal's signed. We, we like to get involved as early as possible so that should something go awry, we are able to kick in with the plan straight away. So um, I've had an example where, where the deal was leaked um, to an employee who then told the rest of the staff. And so obviously, um, luckily enough, we had, a, we had the comms plan ready. So we were able to kick in straight away. We had the email prep from the CEO explaining what was going on. So with a few quick tweaks, we were able to address that situation immediately um, if we didn't get organized so far in advance. And that kind of situation can be very easy to mishandle. Yeah, that gets real difficult too, because if the message gets out and you're scrambling and you're not prepared to respond within less than 24 hours, I can imagine the narrative has been written. Why don't you, because that's always a real uh, big issue is dealing with the employees because obviously they're going to hit the panic button. Uh, their first survival instinct is what about me and my job and so forth. So I, I can imagine a lot of things like that happen. But talk about a couple of cases where, uh, as you alluded to just now, where your services come in and impact the deal. How, how does what you do benefit clients? I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples, naming no names. Um, but to give you one example, so there was a client that I worked on who were a, a very well-known in their market kind of tech brand, 
but they were very, very cool in their space. Um, they had a lot of fairly, um, a sort of gang of followers, if you like, among the tech community. So quite geeky. They'd like to get the sweatshirts. Um, they'd go to the events. Um, and and they were seen as a real sort of challenger in the space. And that, that company was being bought by a very large, very established, quite boring, definitely not cool, um, larger tech player. And so the challenge, obviously, from the outset was how do we bring their fan base and their client base along, which was a key reason for the acquisition, um, without disenfranchising them, because we knew that as soon as they heard who they were, you know, who they they were being bought by, um, they were going to be kicking off all over social media and, um, you know, saying terrible things. So, well, so those sellouts, yes, those green. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so there was a lot of stock in being able to secure that fan base and that client base, because obviously, if if, if that goes, then th- there's much less point to the deal. So we started working in the very early doors to make sure that we got the messaging right. We worked with um, on a very confidential basis with a couple of influencers who we we took into the confidence of the deal and we were able to actually run ideas past them. So we were able to use them as a sanity check on the messaging that we were using. They were able to advise us on points that maybe as non-geeks we hadn't thought about things that would resonate with the community and things that wouldn't. And so we ended up with a, a comms plan, which was quite different to um, a lot of the client-focused plans that we put together normally. And this one involved a lot of um, roadshows and events where we'd actually go and meet the fans, you know, in a, in a, in a sort of comfortable environment for them. Uh, we media trained the CEO of the acquiring company specifically, told him what to wear so that he didn't alarm them with his suits and his, um, you know, monogrammed shirts. Um, so we toned that down a little. Um, and also looked a lot more at things like social content. Um, we produced some animations for them to use to kind of get the right messages across so that people could understand why this change was happening. And uh, that was a really useful way to do it because we were getting the inside knowledge, which was obviously very helpful to, to create the right um, messaging platforms, but also um, were able to really get the content to the place where um, the fans were able to understand why the change was happening and were were, were able to sort of, I, they were never 100% happy with the deal. I think it was hard to convert everybody, um, but the client drop-off rate was was very low. Um, and, uh, you know, we were reliably told that that was a lot to do with the way that we'd um, we'd handled the, the client taking the customer base with us. It's great when we get given a lot of free reign because, you know, the more the more a client leans on us, um, the better able we are to serve them. When we're just told we need a press release on this, it's, it's never going to end well. Whereas if we're able to get under the skin of all the different challenges, we can put together a much more comprehensive program for the client. Give me a profile. What's an ideal client for Clarity PR? The clients that we like to work with are tend to be more in the scale-up side of things. They tend to be very progressive, usually challenger brands in their markets. Um, doing something disruptive, as I said. The key thing is that they have a, a really solid business challenge and that they're looking for a partner in overcoming that challenge through communications. As I say, I think things, relationships where we're expected to just put out press releases for any agency, that's never a particularly inspiring role. And I don't think it, it creates any value for a, for a client. Um, so the best clients are the ones that will will allow us, will sort of give us the keys to the kingdom and allow us in um, to spend time with the team to really get to grips with what their challenges are and then um, give us free reign to put some proposals in place that will help to address those. But tech is a fantastic space and luckily there's no shortage of exciting businesses in that space. So we're, we're very spoiled, particularly 
actually at the moment um, because technology is just such a hot area. So um, it's great to be in such a vibrant kind of marketplace at the moment. And I would say there's no industry with a more glaring, I'm not going to call it weakness, but a glaring non-strength is human communications within technology. (laughs) And so I think that's an ideal fit for where you bring in the softer side, the people skills and, and that fun stuff. When you're onboarding, let's talk about timeline. How, what's the usual life cycle for you, uh, particularly with an M&A situation? Okay. How long in advance should they be talking to you? Or can you do so, get up and running quickly? Give us an idea what the onboarding process looks like. It's possible to, to get started very quickly. There are some shortcuts to this kind of thing. But my recommendation is always that as soon as you think there's a deal about to be, you know, a deal in the pipeline, then bring us on board. Um, ideally, you know, when you're at the letter of intent kind of stage, that's a great time to be starting to talk to us because we can help inform um, the process from there. Um, you know, obviously some clients, this is a regular thing for them in the tech space. <laughs> there's, there's something happening, you know, every other month. Um, whereas other clients, it may be that they, they literally just suddenly decide that they need um, some comms help because they're about to do a deal. So we've been brought in on both kinds of things. But um, the main thing is to invite us in as um, as part of the team. You know, if we can have a seat at the table, we can understand the challenges that are going through among the people that are discussing the deal and are working through the processes. Then that gives us, as we were discussing earlier, a huge amount of insight into where the problems might crop up. And, and there's a, you know, there's a lot about comms. And I think people think that, oh, if you're a publicist, you're always about talking about the good news. Uh, that's the really easy part. Um, the bit where we add the skill is identifying the tricky questions, the challenges we're going to get from the media, the what about this, what does this mean, why didn't you talk about this? So the quicker we can start thinking about the the, the, the difficult questions, <laughs> um, the more we can help you avoid getting those questions in the first place. Have there ever been any problems with communications where the message isn't going to be good and as the buyer is considering a deal, as they're looking at it, we're talking about potential problems. How are we going to communicate these problems? Communications ever talked to anybody out of a deal? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'm going to have to say no in my experience, simply because I don't want to be seen as a, um, a bad luck charm. But... <laughs> It does, it does raise some very interesting questions. And I think that's the other thing about having an independent person in the room in some of those conversations is that we can bring that independent um, perspective. We, we don't have a financial stake in these deals, but we can put ourselves in the shoes of your employees, in, in the shoes of your clients, in the shoes of the media. And it almost gives us a license to ask the questions that quite often other people in the room maybe want to ask, but they don't dare to. Um, so I think there's there's also value in in bringing that sort of outsider perspective to the table, so that you can get all of these things ironed out ahead of the deal. Wow. Well, as we're sitting here talking now, we're hopefully on the downside of the COVID nineteen shelter in place, and there are already conversations about ramping up for for business and returning to work and so forth. If you could share with us, what are your project, projections? for the future, either with M&A, with communications for clarity, you know, what, what do you see down the road? Probably, you know, uh, late third quarter and beyond. It's a great question. And, and that's what we're spending a lot of time thinking about at the moment and working with clients on is what comes after COVID. And I think no one knows yet quite what that's going to look like, but it's definitely worth putting some thought into it at this stage. 
a lot of our clients, um, they've had to change the way that they communicate through this crisis. Some have stopped and are doing other things. Some are doubling down on what they want to be saying. Um, and some are obviously just changing tack, completely changing their messaging. So I think there's going to be a period of settling down um, after this. And I think, you know, there's still quite a lot of deals around. And as I said, we're very lucky to be um, mainly focused around the tech sector, which is there's still a lot of deals going on. It will be interesting to see what happens once the deals that are currently in the pipeline have sort of made their way through. Um, But I think certainly from a commons perspective, there's going to be a lot of regrouping and re-messaging. I don't think any of us can um, expect things to go back to exactly how they were um, pre the virus and therefore um, the way that we approach deals, the way that we approach communications, I think there'll be a naturally a lot more caution, but also a, a, a willingness to kind of get back on and, and get back up to speed quite quickly. So it's going to be an interesting time, I think, all around. One other thing I want to uh, just impart with the audience real quick and why I'm, I'm so pleased to have you is there was advice that I heard uh, a father give his son who uh, was a technology, very well uh, educated in tech and was doing, he was on a good fast track to to success. And his father insisted that he get a job, summer job, either at a Starbucks or at just someplace where he had to talk to people. And the the son, you know, stereotypical tech introvert guy, very, very sharp, uh, nice kid, just didn't have the people skills. But um, the father said, you need to get out there and, and be with people and communicate and, and learn how to do that. And the, the son objected and the father said, look, the, smart, the best ideas and the ideas in a boardroom they listen to and your bosses out there, they're going to promote, not, they're not always promoting the smartest person in the room. They're going to promote the person who has the best message, who can pitch their idea most effectively. And so you can't understate the value of communications. We're human beings and this is, you know, everything happens with humans uh, until artificial intelligence takes over. And so uh, I can't stress that enough and the great work that Clarity PR does. And, you know, I I wish you all the success and thank you very much for joining us today. Alex, how can our audience find you? Uh, You can look me up on LinkedIn or um, give me an email at alex at clarity.pr and it'd be great to hear from anyone. Yes, some of us are, are habitual. We say .com by habit is, is clarity.pr. .pr, yep. Alex, thanks again, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.